a little bit far away. Some of you are nice and close, but that's okay. You're here, and I'm here, and it is so good to see you. Some of you I haven't seen physically for a long time, um, so it is good to see you in person. Just to remind you this morning that as we gather, there are toilets. If you can, if at all possible, just wait until the very end. Uh, ladies at the far door and men's through the double door. When we leave this morning, we can leave either through the fire exit down there or the fire exit down here. And our encouragement is to just congregate outside the door, just behind that wall. There's a nice green area outdoors. We can catch up. We can chat find out how each other is doing and encourage one another. I'm not sure if the coffee guy is there this morning. There was a coffee um, seller there last week. So you can even do him a good turn and buy yourself a cup of coffee and chat with people. So my encouragement as we begin is to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So this is just going to be helpful for us as we set our theme and our focus this morning. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1. What we're going to do is I'm going to read some verses and then we're going to play a song which the words you will see on the screen and the encouragement is just to listen to the song, reflect on the words and meditate. We're not going to be singing this morning, but just to use those words to help us focus our hearts and our minds upon the Lord Jesus. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26. So our question this morning as we gather is, what are you boasting in? Where's your confidence and where's your assurance? Verse 26, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. So it's saying, think about what you were before Christ enabled you to turn to him in faith and repentance. Well, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. We were just ordinary, everyday kind of people. Verse 28, but God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Verse 31, therefore as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It's not about us today. It never is. It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ, his death for us, his resurrection from the grave, defeating death, giving us a new life, a new creation, and a new eternal destiny in his kingdom. We gather together today because the Lord Jesus has enabled us to do so. And we boast in him that joyful confidence in all that Christ is. So we're going to play a song now, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Let's use this song, meditate on the words, think about it, reflect as we focus 
our minds and our hearts to him.
Jesus, we turn our eyes to you. Let's pray together. Father, as we gather together as your people today, we want to turn away from all pride, from all notions of self. And we look afresh as we have just been reflecting and meditating upon the Lord Jesus. We thank you that because of him, we can come to you as our Father. We can gather together as your people, united together through the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that in him, because of his death for us, our sin is dealt with. All our past, all our guilt and shame, all our concerns for the future, everything has been paid for and dealt with once and for all. There is nothing left for us to do except to boast in the Lord Jesus Christ, to say thank you for his work on our behalf, living the perfect life for us, dying our death for us, rising again from the grave, ensuring our eternal destiny is secure. That eternal kingdom, the new heavens and the new earth, where everything will be put right. Father, we thank you so much for all that you have done for us in Christ today. And we ask that as we humbly turn from ourselves and turn to you that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon each one of us today that you would speak to us afresh through the words we hear as we read, as we listen and as later we reflect and think upon the Lord's death for us as we celebrate the Lord's Supper that you would use all of these things Engage all of our senses so that we may understand better who you are, what you have done, and what it means to follow you. Father, we are grateful, we are thankful for, for, for you today. Thankful for one another, for our brothers and sisters in Christ. So help us today. We pray for those of our church family who can't be with us. Father, encourage them as they later listen to the recording of, of this gathering. That they would be blessed and they would be built up. And in no sense, Father, will they um, feel distant but be part of your church family today. Father, we pray that you would help us as a church to love one another well in these days, to find good ways to encourage and to support. We thank you, Father, for the love that is shown 
We thank you for the way in which people are encouraging and looking out for each other. And we pray that this will continue in greater measure as we spur one another on to love and good deeds. So we thank you for today. Thank you for your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the children are going to leave in just a minute for those who are going to Sunday school. Before you do, uh, what you're going to do is you're going to just move to the nearest blue area. And then you're just going to walk nice and slowly round to the back and to the door where you will go to Sunday school. But before you go, uh, just a reminder at the end, um, so that the children can come out if the ladies are needing the loo, if you could just hold on for a minute more, um, and let the children out, and then you can use the loos if you need to. And we're going to pray for you now, for the little ones. Um, So let's pray for them as they go to their class. Let's do that now. Our Father God, we thank you again for the family of your church, for your people gathered here today. We pray for the little ones amongst us. We know it's been a hard time and a difficult number of weeks and months, missing friends, missing being able to go out and see people and play. That's been hard. And so we pray today that you would encourage them To see that in you, Father, you are unchanging. You are always with us. No matter what we may go through, no matter what we feel in our hearts, even the things we can't explain or understand, you know and you understand. And you give us the help that we need. Because you are a big, great and mighty God. I pray that you would help the children as they go to their class, that they'll listen well, and that they will hear great truths about the Lord Jesus, and that it will encourage them to fix their eyes, their minds, and their hearts upon him today. So bless them as they go, and bless us as we remain here. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, children, so just to one side, and then Cherry will be helping you out. So as they do that, um, let me encourage you please to turn to Galatians chapter 6 in our Bibles. Galatians chapter 6. We're going to read God's word um, before Ralph comes and speaks. So Galatians chapter 6, verse 6 to the end of the chapter. So you've been following online. Uh, We've been working our way through this great letter to the Galatians. And we come to the end, to a conclusion. And Ralph is going to wrap everything up for us, going to teach us this morning. So we're going to read and then hand over to Ralph. So let's hear God's word to us this morning. Galatians 6, starting at verse 6. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh 
from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See what large letters I use as I write with you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Thank you, Johnny. It is good to be back with you all this morning. Um, we had a good run in the uh, book room at our house for a few months, Johnny and myself, but it's much better with all of you, I can tell you that. Not, no offence, Johnny. <laughs> I'm just going to turn to the book of Galatians myself here, uh, Galatians chapter 6, and just make sure the... Nope. Sorry, I can't see what's... I'm going the wrong way, aren't I? That's right, isn't it? Yeah, okay, thank you. Um, so just as we begin, I'm just going to ask for the Lord's um, help and the enabling of the Spirit uh, this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that we are gathered here this morning as your people, the Israel of God, those who come to worship you, those who love you because we have been loved by you. We are the, the new creation. And so, Lord, we ask for your help now that we would hear from your word, that your spirit would be at work in our hearts. And, Father, give me strength for the task at hand. Amen. Oops, I'm still going the wrong way, aren't I? Okay. A large-scale public health crisis reveals much about a culture and a society. We like to imagine all things about Ireland and, and being Irish, but when pressure is applied to everyone and to everything at once, cracks can begin to appear. Our now former teacher, Cleo Vradker, in one of his many speeches, he, he said these words, good words, I believe we need to maintain 
social solidarity, unity, and a sense of community in this time of trial. And on the other hand, he was ready to enact draconian laws to lock us all down, stop us in our cars, curtail our freedom to meet people. The call to solidarity and community on one hand, the power of the state and of the law in the other. And I wonder which one does Leo really think, if either of them gets a country through a pandemic, why the need for both solidarity and the force of the law? Why both? Well, there's no guarantees over the long term about countries. We know that kingdoms and countries rise and fall. Pandemics, wars, upheavals, natural disasters have wiped out and dismantled countless empires, let alone thinking about little, little Ireland, just a hundred years old. Communities and societies that seem to us invincible. Think, think of the Soviet Union can fall away very rapidly. Communities can just collapse. We find the church community under the same external pressures that our country is under. Our society, our, our way of life as, as the Christian community goes back 2,000 years to Jesus Christ. And even further, when we consider the beginning of humanity, there has always been the people of God, those who worship God, those who love God, those who are called by God. So the church, God's people, is an enduring community, surviving and growing over thousands of years. So what is it that will keep this church going? Or what is it that will keep the church going? Do we need Leo's playbook? The call for community in one hand with the law book in the other and we just, you know, a little... Christian life is really need a little bit from like column A and a little bit from column B and you mix them together and that's how you keep the community going. That's how you keep the lights on. I'm going to have to remember the... I'm going to do really bad on the slides. Two paths. Well, there are indeed two paths for church communities to walk. Two, two, two ways to try and keep it all together. And we see that in this passage. Paul has pleaded at each step through this letter to the Galatians that we follow the means of grace. Follow the means of grace to keep the church community to keep us on the path, to keep us on the journey, follow the means of grace, which he calls in some places the means of the Spirit or the way of the Spirit or living by the Spirit. The same thing. Grace and Spirit go together from start to finish. The other path is the means of law-keeping to impress others, which is the same as the means of the flesh. So law-keeping to impress others and the flesh or we have the means of grace, which is the means of the Spirit and life by the Spirit. And Paul talks in this section about sowing and reaping to make the differences really clear for us. So let's look again um, at the passage in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. 
two ways to live, two ways to sow, and two ways to reap. We all have fundamental commitments in our lives. And those fundamental commitments are either, Paul says, ultimately to the flesh, or ultimately to the spirit. What we sow to is what we will reap from. And as the church community, as the church, our commitment must be to grace and to the Spirit on our journey together. Look back, as I said, this is all through the book, and as we finish Galatians, it's, it's good to see that thread that runs all through. If you turn back with me to chapter 3 and verse 3, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 3, Paul, speaking to the church, and maybe rightly frustrated, he says, Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? You've started with the Spirit and now you're trying to finish with the flesh. Or turn over the page to chapter 5 and verse 7. This is how he describes what was happening. You were running a good race. You were running a good race. Who cut in to keep you from obeying the truth? Verse 16 in the same chapter, chapter 5. So I say, live by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And again we come to chapter 6 and verses 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. We are all investing all the time. We are all sowing all the time. And we sow with our time somewhere. What we do with our time, what we're sowing that somewhere. We plant our hours and our days as we walk through this life into what we value. From cradle to the grave, we're making those decisions all the time with our time. We're sowing it somewhere. And we're sowing our money and our finances and our gifts to something. We're buying the things that please us. We are sowing and we are reaping. We are sowing and we are reaping. We are sowing and we are reaping. To something or somewhere. To either the flesh or to the spirit. To either self or Christ. Listen again to the two paths. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And so when the pressure comes on, as it has done in these past months, we are revealing our heart commitments to God. And we're revealing them to one another in this community. And we're revealing them to a watching world. And God cannot be mocked. 
There's a, there's a givenness. That's what that means. There's, there's a givenness to the way God's world works. Even with all of the sin and anti-God things, there's still a givenness to how the world works. Because as you sow, you will reap. There is a cause and an effect element. Our sowing and our reaping will show us where our hearts lie and the path that we are on. Firstly, the path of the flesh says, Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Now the word flesh is a very flexible word in the Bible. I don't know how many times you come across it and you're like, Ah, what does it mean here? Well, just to explain, flesh can literally mean skin and bones. You know, just, just the, literally the, as we think of the, the flesh or the meat almost, the body. It's also sometimes used as a way of saying that someone is a human being. They're of the flesh, the flesh of Adam. They're a human. It can also be used to refer to the part of us as Christians that is prone to still sin. So we can talk about battling the flesh as a believer. And so we need to look very carefully when we see the word flesh to try and understand from how it's used in context to what it means. And here I think it's primarily, it's being used in another way. I think the best way to understand flesh here is an individual's settled opposition to the way of Christ as they live for themselves. An individual's settled opposition to the way of Christ as they live for themselves. Because Paul is drawing a very strong distinction, isn't he, between sowing to the flesh and reaping destruction or sowing to the spirit and reaping eternal life. It's flesh versus spirit is, is really self versus God. And Paul spells out what flesh living looks like in the church in verse 12 and 13. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. The path of flesh is the path of impressing others. People are big and God is quite small. On the path of the flesh, what others think is our first thought at any sign of controversy or pressure. Verse 12, we see that in the church in Galatia, what this looked like. Because you could impress others by compelling people to be circumcised. Joe, Joe over there, never been circumcised. Calls himself a Christian, comes every Sunday, but he's never had the snip. Uh, I'm not impressed with Joe. Really doesn't seem to live for Jesus. Completely avoids the topic of circumcision when he comes up. Not even sure he's a Christian or a believer really. He really doesn't get it, does he? Do you know what? We really should set up a Bible study series again on circumcision and make sure that Joe comes along this time. 
sounds, sounds somewhat ridiculous, doesn't it? Uh, to our ears in these days, thinking about circumcision like this, because as far as I know, no one here is insisting that all the men need to be circumcised in order to say that we're a faithful church. But we each have things that we insist on. We each have things that we insist on. Sheila. Sheila doesn't give 10% of her income to the church. A little birdie told me. It's in the Bible, you know. It's in the Bible. Can't believe she's not doing it. I mean, what's she playing at? The rest of us have to carry the burden. It's a disgrace, if I'm honest. Quite selfish, really. Brings her whole church down. And I can't even be convinced or sure that she's a Christian when she doesn't do that. I'm going to have to bring it up so that we can bring her in line with church practice. Outside pressure can come on churches to conform, to avoid persecution and improve our standing with the the, the world and the community outside. We shift. Whole churches and denominations can compromise on the Bible's teaching. Julie still thinks women shouldn't have the right to choose. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad our church came out in, in support of the abortion referendum. If Jesus was here today, he'd, he'd campaign for it. He'd campaign for the very same. Very sad that, that, that Julie is, is arguing on this. Doesn't she know that churches change over time? We gave up slavery. Nobody argues on that anymore. We've caught up on this whole women's rights thing finally. But not Julie still insist that abortion is wrong. And both these examples of insisting on, on, say, an internal matter like tithing within the church or insisting that we we, we move our views and and say that, that killing the unborn is right, they're both ultimately a form of people pleasing. Whether it's inside or out the search, outside the church, people are big in our view. What they think ultimately matters. But as it says here, verse 13, it's a fool's errand to chase popular opinion like this. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. People-pleasing becomes hypocrisy whether that's the internal church law-keeping or conformity to the world, there's, there's no end to either on this path of the flesh because we will inevitably fail to keep somebody's rules and there's no grace. There is no grace where there is only people-pleasing and law-keeping. There is no grace to be found when you finally fail. What do you seek to enforce? And this is this is speaking to me. What is it that you seek to enforce on others in the church? This past week, talking about your brother or your sister your Christian brother or sister, in the privacy of your own home, what do you say? If only they... And fill in your blank. What did you criticize them for this week? Thinking, not very Christian, not a good example, not a good witness. 
And we may even rightly perceive some sin tendency in what we're saying. As Sam reminded us so well last week, but we fail, don't we, into that temptation from those verses, that temptation to impress others with our own self-appointed idea of how everyone should be more like me. Watch out. Watch out. Don't, don't boast, as it says here. Don't, don't, don't boast in your victory to make a fellow sister, a fellow brother in the church family be like you. You're not impressing God. You're impressing yourself and others. We fail to even keep all of our own appointed laws. Don't rejoice when you compel others to be like you. Paul tells us where this leads back in verse 8. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Sow your energy, time and money to this, Paul says, and you will reap destruction in the church family and are in danger yourself of being on the path to your own destruction. Please pray for your leaders in this. Please we seek to walk and, and sow in the Spirit, yet we, we, we fail at times as elders, as deacons, as, as fellow sisters and brothers among you. Our position is perilous. Apart from coming each day and, and each moment to Christ. Because we are, we are, we are definitely tempted to confuse our own standards for those of Christ Himself. As we meet and as we discuss and as we disagree and as we, as we come to agreement and we seek to lead, I know that I am tempted to use the tools of this world, the means of the flesh to bring about my desired outcome. I super-spiritualize my preferences and say, you know, if only, if only it was like this, I think it would be a better witness. If only it was like this, I think, I think it would be better for the church and it would be more Christian. Pray that as leaders we would seek to conform people to the image of Christ and stay far away from compelling others to fit into our own mold. What hope? What what hope? Well, Galatians chapter 1 verse 13 I think is a reminder to the hope that we have. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 13, Paul very early on in the book speaks of his own hope. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. Possibly the best three verses in the whole book. But when God. But when God. It's Paul's testimony. But when God, God intervened. He showed Paul that the cross of Jesus Christ, he showed him that the cross of Jesus Christ, crucifixion of self, crucifixion of self, not, not circumcision of the outward flesh, but crucifixion of self was what really mattered, what really counted. And so we can go back to Galatians 6. 
and verse 14. And Paul says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's the key. That's the key. But when God showed us the cross of Jesus, the gospel begins and it centers and it ends on our Lord Jesus Christ. And at the cross we find him to be our Lord and Savior. The world, Paul told us earlier, is made up of the weak and miserable forces and principles. The idea of living to self, insisting we are right, impressing others, boasting in our victories over others. That's the world and its miserable and weak principles. There's only one solution. And it's at the cross. Put to death the world and the flesh. We must die to those principles of the world. And the world must die to us. Not, not, not death for the sake of death, but death so that we may be reborn. Verse 15. You see, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Oh, what, what glory. It is only of the Lord's design and good purposes that, that we come to the cross and we think of the cross. We, we die at the cross in sin and self and we are raised to righteousness. We're born again by the Spirit of God. We give up one path sowing to the flesh and we embrace another path sowing to the Spirit. And it's crucifixion. It's not, it's not circumcision and rule keeping or uncircumcision and looking to the world, but crucifixion that brings about a new creation. Why the cross? There we see the death of Jesus so that we might have life. His death becomes our death and therefore his resurrection becomes our resurrection. Our, our sin is exchanged for all of his goodness. His, his perfect flesh ruined so that my ruined flesh may be made perfect. And as he rises and as he ascends to the Father, his spirit, the Holy Spirit is poured out on us and we are reborn. Reborn. Sinner, if you are on the path to destruction, come to the cross of Jesus and be reborn. Exchange all that you have for eternal life. In that moment when we came to the cross, we, we, we stopped. We stopped when we came to the cross. Our but when God moment. We stopped looking to our left and our right for justification from others. And those scales, they, 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 they fell away from our eyes. And we saw Jesus. God became big. God became big and people's opinions of us became small. It was glorious. It was glorious. We, we escaped the wide path of destruction 
and we skipped over to the narrow path of life. That's why it says in verse 8, whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. We are those that sow to the Spirit. Hallelujah. We have been born again at the cross. Our flesh has been put to death. The cross of Jesus Christ is now our only boast. Verse 16. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule to the Israel of God. God's people enjoy peace and mercy because we follow the rule of crucifixion. We follow the rule of new creation. Come to the cross and we will know this peace and mercy. Now the path for believers sowing to the Spirit is not an easy path. And just briefly, two, 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 two hints to that in this, this passage, two personal reminders from Paul. Verse 11, he says, See with what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. It's a, it's a strange kind of phrase. I think Paul normally, and maybe throughout this letter up to this point, was dictating the letter to a scribe who wrote down exactly what Paul said. And it seems at this point Paul takes the pen himself into his hand. And we have other hints from this letter and from elsewhere in Scripture that Paul's eyesight may have been afflicted. And so it's, it's quite likely when he says, see what large letters I'm using. He's kind of saying, look, my, my, my eyesight is so bad. I'm, I'm writing here with... With, with large letters. His eyesight is probably failing him. And in verse 17, From now on let no one cause me trouble, because many had caused Paul trouble in his defense of the gospel, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. He bears on his body the marks of Jesus. Paul was beaten, he was whipped, he was left for dead, he was shipwrecked, he faced wild animals, all for the gospel. You see, Christian living isn't an academic exercise. It's that daily cross-carrying. Sowing to the Spirit is not the easy path. It's no walk in the park. So it's the question, how do we, how do we keep going? How do, how do we individually and we as a church keep going? Because it is hard. It's wearying at times and four seasons. This time of COVID lockdown in particular has brought an unusual strain on the church. Opportunities to do good to one another have diminished. We've not been able to meet. We've grown apart in some ways and we've formed habits of isolation from one another as we've been cut off from the body as it is meant to be. And many of us, I know, have felt the strain of coming back to church with questions we we never had before when we came here on a Sunday morning. Will I be safe? What can I do? What can't I do? Where can I walk or or stand or, or sit? Will I upset people? If I unintentionally do the wrong thing in their eyes, Am I being judged for wearing or or not wearing a a face covering? I I, I don't want to upset others. That's not what that's not why I come to church, but, but but I have concerns. 
Well, some of those concerns maybe resonate, and I think we all need to look then from verse 8 again, the latter half of verse 8 down to 10. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Eternal life, for say, is in view here, folks. Eternal life. Don't become weary in doing good. It's hard, I know. It's easier at times to opt out and, and to collapse back in on ourselves. But, but good works are a part of what is new in the new creation. I don't know if you've thought about that, but what, what, what does it mean to be the new creation? Well, it, it must mean, from here, good works. It's part of what's new. And at the proper time, when Christ returns or we go to be with him through death, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. We're born again in order to be like Jesus. Have you considered that? We're born again to be like Jesus, to love like Jesus loves, to do good. And Jesus said, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love for one another. It's hard, especially now. But do not grow weary. Through the stones and the the brambles that we encounter on the path, God is calling us to not grow weary in doing good, especially to the family right here. What does doing good look like? Well, we skipped over it, but let's go back to verse 6. Because verse 6, and if you look at them, verse 6 and verse 10 are kind of bookends of this section on the Spirit, I think. Verse 6 is a practical outworking of verse 10. But did you read or hear verse 6 right? Let me help you out. Pay your pastor. Genie, are you allowed to say that in a sermon? I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what we get away with this morning. So let me help you out. It says, pay your pastor. What? Yep, pay your pastor. It's a simple enough idea. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. As someone is sharing the word of God with you, ministering and giving and doing good to you by giving you the word, you should share back with them. That's what this Christian community life is, is like together. You should share your goods. The good things that you have, share them in return. Yes, that means that one key application of this verse is that we should care for the needs of our primary instructor in the Word. Our pastor, Johnny Grant. We should pay our pastor. Now I'm thankful that as a church, I think we get this. We get this. As God has blessed us financially, we have shared good things with our pastor. And long may it continue as the Lord... Provides. So this is this is an encouragement to us this morning. 
And that's an example, a very practical example of doing good within the church, of sowing to the Spirit, sharing with those who minister to us. Let me tell you the other part from that verse that you might have missed. Um, You're also receiving, you're being instructed, and we're getting the better side of the deal. We're getting the better side of the deal. We may think we're the ones doing good to our pastor by sharing our, our finances or our money, but we're being fed by the eternal word of God Sunday after Sunday and week after week of, of pastoral care and ministry. That, that hard, spiritual, unseen work that the world can never offer, the world does not have, is happening here in the Christian community and through our pastor. So share with each other. Share good things. Share the word. Share our resources. Do good to one another. Church, find opportunities. Even in lockdown or restricted times like these, do good to the family. Now is a unique time to practically demonstrate to the watching world our love for God's family, the church family. Don't give up, Paul says. Don't grow weary. It is hard, but give and receive. Share with one another all that you have. We are new creations. We walk by the Spirit and we sow good to our church family. Not not insisting on recruiting others to our causes, like the circumcision party we're doing, but sharing what we have as the Lord has given to each one of us. I want us all to arrive together at our eternal reward. God has put me with you, and he's put you with me together. Peace and mercy from God towards one another in this family. Love God, love others. I want to end this morning just by reading from verse 14 to the end of the chapter and to the end of the book together to encourage our hearts in this work. Verse 14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Thank you, Ralph. I'd like us to keep our Bibles open just for a moment at the passage we've just looked at, Galatians chapter 6. Together we are going to share in the Lord's Supper as we gather together as God's people.
It is for those who are trusting in Christ. For those who have that story that we were reminded of that they can say, but when, when God intervened and caused me and enabled me to turn to him. Verse 14 says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's never about our performance, but about Christ's perfect performance on our behalf. His life for my life. Again, to use and to think of the language that Ralph has directed our thoughts to, that Christ came and took on our flesh, that opposition to God, and paid the penalty for us. Dying our death, living the perfect life on our behalf so that we could receive the goodness of his life. So there should be a joyful confidence from us today, not in self, but only in Christ. And that is what we are going to celebrate together as we share in the Lord's Supper. We remember, we look back to that point in time where we moved from a life of flesh to living by the Spirit. No longer trusting in self, but trusting only in Him. We need to come back time and time again and renounce all means and all ways of the flesh to confess before him, to humbly come before him and say, not I, but Christ. Before communion is served to you, um, Nick and Ralph uh, or Alex, I think, are going to do that, but you can stay where you are to be served to you. The bread and juice will be brought to you in a little um, container. Just take it. Eat and drink as you receive it. And we're going to play a song which you can meditate and follow the words on the screen as we do that. The Lord Jesus reminds us that he took bread and gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. Do this. In remembrance of me. In the same way after supper. He took the cup saying. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Which is poured out. For you. So as we eat. Of the bread. As we drink of the juice. We remember that point in time. Where we turn to Christ. Christ worked in our life. We confess. Our sin afresh. We trust in him. So before it is served, let's just take a moment to just reflect on what we've heard, bring our confession to the Lord, and rest in his perfect work for us.